0: morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to our Wolf Wisdom Gathering. And this is Dakota. He's our alpha dad for Father's Day. And he's already on his way. Go ahead. <laughs> Go say hi. Chillax, little boy. The name of my talk today was inspired by Cheryl's um, song that she's going to sing later for us called Hold On To Me, which is sort of like, y- you know, when we're born, it's the dad that we want to hold on to, you know. So um, I, of course, Dakota had to be our father of the day because he's <laughs> the father of our pack, and uh, you know he's taught me a lot about um, being a dad. It's interesting. He was a teenage dad. Part of the reason why we have puppies <laughs> and a six pack is because we thought he was too young, and he acted that way. But those hormones kicked in, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> puppies came. And he was the best dad in the wild. They don't see the puppies until they're already five weeks old, mm. like four to five weeks old, and that's in the warmer climates. So they start to come out of the den, and only the alpha mother is with them in the den until they start to creep out. So we had made this den for Alaska to have the puppies, and there was in this little enclosure, and we had built a gate that was about this big, this tall. And the puppies were being born. Dakota, who was that tall, <laughs> was up on that thing with his head hanging over didn't it, just a little peek of his puppies. <laughs> and we, I was like, how are we going to keep him from them for four weeks? Because we were trying to do what we needed to do, because they're different than dogs, and we, don't, uh, we didn't know at the time. All of these educational programs, we kind of discovered from them and by them. But at about um <laughs> at about five days old, maybe even shorter, we c- he couldn't stand it anymore. It was about two days. Anyway... But, you know, who could blame him? I sat in my robe for the first week and just sat with them and watched them grow. Paul would come home, and he's like, what are you doing? And I go, I'm watching them grow. (laughs) I I could barely leave them. Seriously, two weeks just sitting on a little stool next to her, watching them and observing them. So how how could we take that from him? So he came around, and he was a dad from the get-go. All of a sudden, this maturity set in to this one-year-old. And, um, of course, when they got bigger, he got to play with them. So he was like, <laughs> they would run, and he would go. And um, Shadow, we didn't know also. Shadow, we didn't know because she was more of the alpha, but because um, our um, black wolf, for those of you don't know, she, she was diagnosed with cancer when she was three years old. And she had had radiation, and, um, but she was the alpha girl. And uh, Alaska became the mom of the pack, having the puppies. So Alaska, uh, when when uh, Shadow met them, she just came over and stood next to them. And then in the wild, they'll kill another alpha's babies, not to share the same territory. And it's about survival. So it was very tricky watching her, and Paul was with them. And uh, she just looked at them and looked at them, and we watched Alaska, and Alaska wasn't afraid. She just looked at them for ten minutes and then walked away. And they were days old. As they grew up, every time they went near near shadow, they would hit the dirt, crawl to her, and then turn their bellies over. She was the queen of the pack. They treated her like she was royalty. (laughs) And, of course, they chased after Alaska to get milk. (laughs) I have a picture of all of them she's standing and they're all hanging off of her nursing (laughs) she's just relentless with her but um, one day I came home from the store and we had this front yard with a picket fence and I was used to just the girls and I wasn't even thinking and I came home with groceries and Paul was in the front yard and Shadow and Alaska were just hanging out in the yard and uh, all of a sudden I was like Where's Dakota? <laughs> where are the puppies? <laughs> and he goes, he's babysitting. <laughs> and I ran in. And there's Dakota splayed. I, I, if anybody knows him, they see him splayed on his belly. And he was in the middle of where the puppies were. And every time they got a little too far away, he would bat them in. <laughs> and then he'd move his head and bat them even closer. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, wow, they're fine, they're just fine. He's never ever been away from them. Um, since they are his kids, he taught them how to pull and sticks. Do you know what I mean? He taught them tug of war. I just, I was lucky enough to be able to just spend time observing this entire process, and ha- having been the honor of doing that because my. Beautiful husband had this great idea to raise a pack of wolves and teach people about them to save them in the wild, and so that's what you're doing here. That's what we're doing here. So before I get a little bit too further into it, um, I'm gonna do our opening meditative song. Um, join me if you like. Um, but I just ask that you know you came here. This is a beautiful paradise. I called it earlier. <laughs> just. Relax, let everything go. You don't have to hold on to yourself while you're here. Just ease in your chair. The chair has you, and Mother Earth has the chair. You can't fall. (laughs) and into the eyes those nocturnal eyes of my wolves and I know that there is a creative energy there is an intelligence whatever you want to call it people all over the world call it something Um, but whatever it is that you call it I know that it is intelligent and I know that we are made from this stuff and that it's magnificent and that it is wonderful and that it is deliberate So I say that we are one with the creative energy of every living thing, seen and unseen, and that we are unique, creative expressions of that energy on this planet, uniquely expressing as us, like no one else can do, just your own small little individual snowflake. And I claim for each and every one of you that your divine purpose for being here is no mistake. You are here to live a purpose that is important to not just humanity, but all living things. I recognize this for you. I recognize this for myself. I claim that your heart's desire is leading you in a direction where you can fulfill this purpose. Despite appearances to the contrary, outside of you, inside of you, there is nothing outside of you that can touch that brilliance inside of you, that creative divinity that you came here to be. And so I'm really grateful for this knowledge. I'm grateful f- for the, your presence to be here to let me share my life with you and my knowledge and my, um, my uh, questions <laughs> about life. And I'm grateful for everything that's come before me, grateful for everything that's here right now and everything that's coming in the future to me and beyond. And I'm grateful for the fathers. I'm grateful today for those men that brave giving life to another human being and let them hold on to you until they can stand on their own. You are precious, whole, and complete, just the way you are. <laughs> and so I l- release these words knowing that the universe is holding them, that the hands of grace has them, not just for you, but for me, for the wolves, and for our purpose here. Thank you for coming. And so it is, amen, the Native Americans say, "Aho." And there you go. <laughs> Antoine Francois Provost. I probably pronounced that wrong, but he says the heart of the father is the masterpiece of nature. Do you believe that? How many fathers in the room? <laughs> As soon to be. <laughs> so... Yeah, the heart of a father is a masterpiece of nature. There he is. There's a dad. (laughs) Another masterpiece of nature. (laughs) Come on in. Thank you. Come on in. If only we really believed that across the board. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, if we knew how precious we were, how important we are. How much we have to give. If we could remember our hearts on that level, then who we raise, how we walk out into the world, the the people who are entrusted to us to give to the world, do you know what I mean? It would be a different thing if you could remember who you are. Which is why I say that prayer in the beginning because my life never, ever had meaning until I started to actually accomplish some kind of embodiment of that feeling that I was meant to be here. If I only could remember, you know, that I am one in all of creation, so are you. And the beings that you help create, <laughs> giving that avenue, right? it's a masterpiece she's your masterpiece it's an amazing thing and so is she and recognizing that in that you've participated in the world on that level I just want to honor the fathers that do that Sigmund Freud says I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection right who the boogeyman out of the closet, right? <laughs> I, would, I had a blue carpet. I grew up in um, Texas, and I was born in Louisiana. And every time we visit our, resi- our, our relatives in Louisiana, alligators were everywhere. These uh, friends of my dad lived in a cul-de-sac, and they had a pond in the cul-de-sac, and they had at least 10 to 12 alligators around the pond just right outside their, their yard. And my brother and I would just stand in the front, yard <laughs> watching them, they never moved. And you know, as an adult, I was later, you, you couldn't have a dog. How, how would you have a dog? <laughs> or a cat. There's alligators in the front yard, right? So at night, when I needed to go to the bathroom, I had a blue carpet in my room, it was the 60s and 70s, right? And we had green carpeting in the that's when all the shags are n- different colors. And so I had green carpeting in the hallway. And my closet was right here. So anytime you know those sliding glass doors, anytime it was open about this much, I knew I couldn't go to sleep. And then I'd have to go wake up my dad because I had them move my bed away from the window so that I had the bed here and and then I could jump in the middle of the night over the water into the hallway that was green so that I didn't get eaten by (laughs) the alligators that were underneath my bed. (laughs) Swear to God. (laughs) So it was this nightly event that I would jump from my bed into the hall, down the hall, and then I'd have to come and leap, and sometimes it didn't work. So of course my dad had to come and take me back to my bed to get me past the alligators and then close the, the closet doors. I didn't look to my mom for that. That had dad. That was a dad job. That was a dad job. Pam Brown said, "Dads are most ordinary men turned into love, turned by love into heroes, adventurers, storytellers, and singers of songs." You know, and I go back to Dakota watching him spend every single waking moment with them and having anxiety if he was separated from them and just playing with them and having contact with them always. And even today, the be- his most favorite thing is to run on the property with his puppies. The face <laughs> and the smile. And he still gets to be the boss, even though he's got hip dysplasia. He's 10 years old, and he's running. They can't run faster than him. You know what I mean? He blocks them, <laughs> and he takes them. <laughs> you know? He still, like, has, but hit, being with his pack, that's what he does. Now, when he's tired, and it's interesting because you know how parents don't get a lot of rest. We call him the man behind the curtain because when he's done taking care of them and he's done his job for the day, he goes, climbs in the tub behind the curtains like he's like, leave me alone now, once he's in the tub, right? But he won't be the bad guy. <laughs> How many people have fathers that made the mom be the bad guys? <laughs> he won't be the bad guy. If one of them is in the tub and he wants to go in, he won't kick them out. He bangs on the door and looking at one of us and makes us kick them out. Now he wants in, but he he won't do it. He won't do it. <laughs> <He's like laughs> somebody's in my tub. <laughs> you should see the door to our bedroom. <laughs> like this is this, this, this. But it still cracks me up today because it's such a fun thing, you know? But it reminds me of people. Like, Dad won't be the bad guy. Mom has to come be the bad guy. And depending on which one it is that I can't see, I can be in the living room and go, Cochise. And then you hear this rustling on the porcelain. (laughs) And Cochise comes out of (laughs) it. But if I don't hear the rustling, it's like, Genoa. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you hear the rustling. And they come out, and then he just passes them by and climbs in the tub. How many? How many dads had a a chair like their space? Right? Everybody had a space. Nobody invades the space. When Dakota's not in the tub, he likes my spot. So if I'm in a spot, he'll come and start pawing on me. And sometimes that's dinner, or you know what I mean. Sometimes it's I want to go out front. You know, but sometimes it's, you know, I get up. Now, sometimes he'll go to the back door to fake me out. Like, he'll go to the back door, and I got to go to see And as soon as I get to the door to open it for him, he runs and takes my spot. And I let him have it. (laughs) But what he also will do is he will starve for his pack. He's 10 years old. They come near his bull, his puppies. He backs away and lets them have it. They were born nine years ago last, uh, you know, in May. They just celebrated their birthday. And I have to stand by his bowl and keep them all at bay. And they have to sit because he gives them the leftovers. But um, if they come and put their face in his bowl, he backs up and goes away. And he won't even eat. Takes him a long time to get back to his bowl. he's been doing that since they were born. I think for the first six weeks I had to take him at like 9 o'clock at night into the laundry room and feed him by hand. And the whole time he's kind of looking around. Now, they all had food. In the wild, I guess they don't eat when the puppies are in need because there's not enough food. But he had plenty of food. It's just this instinctual thing that they don't eat. The puppies eat. The pack eats. And then I eat. Still today, they eat at three thirty, three, forty, five, four o'clock. He eats at eight or nine o'clock at night. He makes sure they've all had their own. And so it's fascinating, you know, when I talk about it and um, our privilege to raise them this way and to watch the dynamic of these creatures that live so close to us, you know, behave like every parent I know. And these sentient beings that have ha- this evil, you know, legacy that keeps them endangered. And uh, that c- so that's kind of what we're here for, for those people who haven't been here before. That's why we do what we do. We educate to not eradicate. He can play like a kid, give advice like a friend, and protect like a bodyguard. That's our expectation of our dads. Terry Gilmott says, I love my father as the stars. He's this bright shining example of a happy twinkling in my heart. <laughs> Especially for girls, you know that's the kind of, you know, idea we have for our dads. Joseph Campbell says a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. Paul and I never had children. We only had the wolves. But I can imagine that when you're delivering, you know what I mean, when you see the child that you created, you know, together, and look at that face and look at this perfect whole human being that is completely different for you from you but also the same. It's got to be the most magnificent moment which you can experience. You know, I just read recently, you know, I I teach uh, educational programs, and I read this thing, archaeologically speaking, that they now believe that the Neanderthal died out and that the Homo sapiens lived because they cohabitated with the wolf. They hunted together, (laughs) you know, they lived together. That they, the um, hunt, the, um, we know that wolves survived the Ice Age, And wolf biologists will tell you that they're the most unlikely species to have ever survived because they can't eviscerate their prey. You know, they can't jump on them like bears and tear them apart. They have each other, they have endurance, and they have jaw pressure once they wear them out. So this wolf community, you know, once the larger, you know, um, deer and the elk, you know, started to appear, man and wolf hunted together, lived together. Before we had grocery stores, that's what we ate. Deer, elk, caribou, squirrel, birds. You know what I mean? uh, Rabbits. This was our diet. That's their diet. So we lived and cohabitated together. So so basically this article actually called them wolf dogs because they were around us. And uh Legacy that they've let, left us, which is the domestic dog. You know, I just uh, was looking at Patty's um, new puppies, sixteen-week-old uh, brother and sister huskies, and all I had to do was say in the room what I was looking at, and you should have seen all your faces. <laughs> the idea of just puppies, the 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 sparkle in the eye came up, and that's our wolf legacy. That's our companion species. Tom Hanks says a hero is somebody who voluntarily walks into the unknown. What could be more unknown than raising another human being? <laughs> what could be more unknown than that? I have no idea. It, well, that, but still, you know, it's like, I, I'm. you know, I am a homo sapien. So I imagine, I can only imagine because I didn't have this experience, but I watch other parents, you know, dive into the unknown. George Herbert says, our father is worth more than 100 schoolmasters. Dan Pierce, loving my son, building my son, touching my son, playing with my son, being with my son. These are tasks that only super dads can perform. These are the tasks that every dad should perform always without fail. My girlfriend, my best friend, and I knew her, uh, she was my acting student actually, and then um, uh, she brought her husband who was a, a businessman, and he became an acting, I- in, the, in the acting class too. And when they had their first child, I was in the park with them, and um, Adrian was uh, like three? He was walking just ahead of us in the park, <coughs> and he was walking exactly like his dad. Like the same body, the same movement. Do you know what I mean? His arms were swinging in the same way. <laughs> and I was like, look at that. <laughs> like, you know, the genetics. And then now we've learned epigenetics, which means all of our the memory of their DNA is in this DNA today. They did this study. They're starting to see the, d- the detrimental um, effects on those people who experienced war, all the way back from the Civil War, how it affected their offspring. You know, And they had different lives than the people who did not go to war. And so they're starting to compare that. But what they're noticing is that DNA has an impression through the ages. And then I don't know if you guys, some of you were here when my favorite experiment is that they put DNA in a room, put you in another room, and stimulated your emotional life, and your DNA in the other room responded to it. Wow. They thought, well, maybe if it gets further away. So they took it like five miles away, did the same experiment. Your DNA responded to whatever stimulus was going on with you. Guess who has your DNA? (laughs) Your children. Whatever happens to you in your life, however you're dealing with it, think about this responsibility. It's affecting your DNA elsewhere. So those mothers that knew, you know, when they went to do a sleepover with their, we called it spend the night with somebody else, but you know what I mean? The sleepovers that knew you were cold, right? (laughs) That froze all night because you were freezing all night. Like they didn't give you enough, you know what I mean? Or you were hungry, you know what I mean? Those kind of intuition things that where you know something happened to your kid and you're not even there. It's pretty amazing. Patty has a great story about that, and the planes, right? Yeah. One of her children was supposed to be on one of the planes that hit the buildings, and something happened, and she could feel it. And he didn't end up. He or she didn't end up with a. No. He. C- he said there was something. Yeah. think that's that DNA thing. They think so, too. <laughs> DeForest Kelly said, the most important influence in my childhood was my father. He played bones on Star Trek. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Dan Pierce again, children are gifts. They are not ours for the breaking. They are ours for the making. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who don't have their dads anymore. There's a lot of people who had absentee dads. There's a lot of people who had dads that left. There's a lot of people who had dads that stayed but were really wounded and not present. Richard Paul Evans says, broken vows are like broken mirrors. They leave those who held to them bleeding and staring at fractured images of themselves. There are fathers that pass that down to you, you know? And sometimes it takes lifetimes to work through that for yourself, to understand where they were, what happened to them. Paul's father is an example. You know, he was a Korean vet. He had two Purple Hearts. He was wounded. They patched him up, put him back in there, and um, he was a lone survival of survivor of his entire squadron. And then they send him home with another pu- Purple Heart this is the 1950s, so there's no one to talk to. There's no PTSD. There's no, you know what I mean? There's alcohol for people who had no place to come home with that. We now know a lot about survivor's guilt. We, n- we have no idea what that man went through in his heart, raising his family, going through what he was going through. Only Paul knows him on that level. And so Paul could never know him on that level because that's not something he could share. Which is why forgiveness is so important. You know? Why working on yourself along the way to understand, do you know what I mean, and take responsibility for how you behave no matter how you were treated is so important. And understanding, do you know what I mean, that you can be broken so easily. We are so strong to survive, but sometimes we can get shattered inside and live the rest of our lives just broken in pieces, doing the best we can with the life that we were given and the responsibilities that we created. And it's hard. It's really hard. When we lose each other, and that contact that I was talking about in the beginning, not knowing that we're here for each other as a community, you know? Not knowing that we need each other to survive. Not being there for each other to work through those kind of healing processes. Just a culture at that time that said, you know, stand up and take it. You know, don't be a sissy men don't cry, fathers don't say I love you, that was unheard of, that was unheard of. Imagine a time where that was unheard of. So if you're withholding that, how do you even express it, if you've got to hold it back, how do you be the father that's playing and singing, do you know what I mean? You hit 13 and all of a sudden, be a man now, whatever it is, you know, culturally there are these transitions you know, for women as well, of how you're supposed to behave once your conscious mind clicks in and we need you to participate in the world, and I call that domestication. You know, I say that these wolves are socialized people. Those of you who haven't met them before, you're going to meet them later. They are socialized to people. We did not domesticate them. That's what happened to us. The idea that we socialize ourselves to other human beings rather than domesticate ourselves in order to fit in to somebody else's idea of how you should be and what you should do and whose needs are more important. And we live in cultures where there's an echelon where those are the needs we're supposed to fulfill. And that is not a spiritual practice. It's not a spiritual world. And yet that's what we're here to do. We are spiritual beings living a physical experience. And if you don't know that, then you can be domesticated. If you do not pass that along, then you can be domesticated. Jennifer Donnelly says, I know it is a bad thing to break a promise, but I think now that it is worse thing to let a promise break you. What I mean by that is when you become an adult, broken promises are just, like, around the corner all the time. You know what I mean? But a bro- if you let broken promises break you along the way, then there's no place to go from there. And think about all the b- the promises you thought you could keep, and then it became really wrong for you, and then you couldn't fulfill your destiny because you were headed in the promise area instead of breaking the promise. Do you know what I mean? And remembering that the promise is to your heart and yourself and your destiny, not a promise to somebody else because you said you would show up on that level. And And when I talk about showing up, it's not about not being responsible for what you're responsible for. I had someone come here once and um, uh, I talk about following your heart. (laughs) And she met somebody else and left her husband because she said, I'm following my heart. That's not what that means. You know what I mean? She shattered her family thinking that her desire for someone else is what I meant. Your heart's desire is leading your life in a certain direction, not to a certain person. You can follow your heart and be responsible to the people that you are responsible to. So just when I say things like that, I just want to (laughs) clarify, you know, because it can be taken wrong. It can be taken wrong. Hard times don't create heroes. It is during the hard times when the hero within us is revealed. That's Bob Riley. I just turned 63 last week or the week before. I can't remember now. (laughs) And people are like, you tell people your age, and I go, yeah. I've lived all those years, and I want credit for every one of them. (laughs) i lived it. It's mine. I own it. All of it. The stuff I'm ashamed of and the stuff I'm proud of. You know? The stuff I'm ashamed of is still with me. I still hurt over certain things that I can't take back. But in 12-step uh, programs, they'll tell you you can make a life amends. You know what I mean? So, I like to m- think that I can make a life amends just standing here. You know what I mean? And trying to rescue these animals. If you know anybody who rescues animals, which is how we got here, because Paul would leave his house, you know what I mean, which w- had a lot of upset in it and a lot of alcohol in it, and hang out in the woods and save wild animals. And while he did that, he saved himself. That's how we got here. Fred Rogers says, anyone who does anything to help a child in his life is a hero to me. Right What more can you possibly do to make a life amends for the things that you were ashamed of than to help another help a child get through a hard time? To feel recognized, to feel known, to feel loved, to be feel seen. You know? And I'm not just talking about these children, I'm talking about these children. you know? The child within that is still carrying those old wounds and that shame that keeps you from standing in front of people and go, I am Colette, and this is me. <laughs> and I, I belong here. I was meant to be. You see me doing it, and I'm still nervous about it. It's Where we're supposed to go, he comes up here and he looked at you and he was like, yeah, I'm a wolf. What about it? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to go lay down now. <laughs> I envy that. I envy that. I'm standing up here in front of you as much exposed as I can be and it's still like I want to run for the hills. I read through it. Hey, Wallace, I killed the monsters. That's what fathers do. I go back to the I go back to <laughs> the, the bedroom closet and the alligators under the floor. So when I got older, um, I also um, understood um, I don't know if you guys know this, but you have to walk upright long enough. I was a human development major. Um, and when you're eight, you've walked upright long enough for your um, conscious mind to start clicking in, or you start watching yourself. Like at seven years old, if you're in a dress and you're up on the monkey bars and you're hanging upside down and your underwear is exposed, nobody thinks anything of it, and you don't either. At eight, it's a mortifying experience. Right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Appropriate behavior starts to click in. Is anybody watching me? Because I'm watching myself, right? And that's about the time when kids start to understand. There, you know, there's no kids in here. No Santa Claus. You know what I mean? You start to figure things out. And so, in my family, I f- started to figure out the dysfunction that was present. You know, and that then my home, to me, became a scary place, and I took to the trees. Would go out into this field or going out into my backyard. Paul went out into the woods in the wilderness and I climbed up a tree as high as I could get. And that became my arms of strength. You know? My solace, my place. So you know, it's no mistake that when I meet an arborist, that's trees, right? <laughs> this is the first thing I ever said to him. <laughs> that I end up with an arborist, someone who saves the trees, which were the arms of strength where I found my home, you know, climbing those trees and being held in those big, strong arms. And so that's, you find your way along the way, you find your fathers along the way, you find the next best protection along the way, and that comes from us understanding each other that we all get here, that we'll never, ever know. Paul and I have been together for 10 years, but he can only tell me and I can only imagine what his childhood was like having the dad that had no place to take his pain, except to live in it, you know? And that had an impact on him that I can see and I can glean, right? But the good news is is that he would climb that fence and he would save the wild animals and take them to the vet next door if it was a raccoon or a squirrel or a bird, right? And then it taught him how to make a living because he can't read. He's severely dyslexic. He'll share that with you. I'm not exposing him, <laughs> you know? And he went from a troubled childhood to be able to produce, you know, the paradise we live in. Everything green and blooming you see is all him. And I joke that he can look at something and it can grow. (laughs) But it's true. (laughs) You know? (laughs) When we got married, I changed some lyrics. You know how they do that? I changed some lyrics uh, to an old Annette Funicello song. Uh, because at the time when she was young, you guys, I'm so dating myself, but Annette Funicello was um, uh, in love with Paul Anka, and it was a, it was a, a s- she wrote, she sang two songs that became famous about her Paul, and so I made up my own lyrics in, at our wedding, right? And um, <laughs> I would ask Paul, we would come here, or I'd go someplace, and I'd go, well, how are you going to deal with that? And he goes, I'll just hit it with my pretty stick. <laughs> I wish I had pictures of the before and after. One day we'll have to do that. But this whole place was dirt and rock. There were a couple of mature trees here, but we've planted over 60 trees, and there's no, you know what I mean? He came, and we were like, I don't know, Paul. uh, But we trusted Shadow. Shadow found this place, and um, she chose it, and we let her choose it. And um, she passed away as soon as she got us safely at home. For those of you who don't know, when the puppies were born, um, we were living in Studio City and animal control kicked us out, <laughs> <laughs> literally evicted us from the city if we were going to keep them. And so we, it, it was 2010 with the height of the real estate market crash, and nobody was loaning money for anybody to do anything, much less 10 plus acres, and so but Shadow saw this place, She was really sick that day, and I actually had to hold her up to get a drink of water that morning, but she she went flying out of the truck when she saw this place. There was snow all over the ground. She was rolling in it, eating it. She ran around the barn, took us to the pond, which was her favorite place to go, and um, we knew that she knew something we didn't because we couldn't see it. And I was just mentioning before, you know, it's like I I was um, apologizing to Cheryl because I didn't and can't go to see her play when she plays at the Rock Inn. And uh, uh, I said, you know, but I I live in paradise. Why would I go anywhere? (laughs) And so this paradise that we have created that is home to us that we like to share with other people is um, all him, all him. Dan Pierce again says, "Dads, it's time to tell our kids that we love them constantly. It's time to show our kids that we love them constantly. It's time to take joy in their 20,000 daily questions <laughs> and their inability to do things as quickly as we would like. It's time to take joy in their quirks and their tics. It's time to take joy in their facial expressions and their mispronounced words. It's time to take joy in everything that our kids are, not includes the <laughs> <laughs> We have a challenging boy. <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson says a hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he is brave five minutes longer. I just want to say, you know, there's a reason, um, before we, uh, before Cheryl sings for us, but there's a reason, I think, and these are the reasons, when you watch nature and you watch the difference, you know, the, uh, genders, you know, the males and the females, in most cases, you know, you, there's no mistaking why we call, you know, whatever the creator is by the name Father. You know? And that this is the mother. The, the one that nurtures us, the one we stand on, the one that we will, you know what I mean that we get our food from, you know, but the creation here, this over all protecting source, we call the father. Um, the Native Americans call it the great mystery. It w- what's interesting is that they never ever questioned it. They call it the mystery because there's like, it's a mystery. Why even try and figure it out? <laughs> But what they did understand was that there was creation and that they could be co-creators here on the planet. And so there's the great creator as well. So think about that. There's the great creator, which is what you're, you're creating with in this ex- physical experience, but the great mystery is the one that created it all. And Father Sky, great spirit, They had lots of names also. The red race sees great mystery as the life force in all of creation and not as an angry or jealous God. Great spirit is seen as the unlimited creative force within great mystery that feeds all of creation all the time. To limit the power of creation in ourselves or others is a human concept. If we acknowledge the limitlessness of great mystery, we must acknowledge that this life's force is also part of our makeup because we are created by the same original source. Original source is the creator of all life and we are created in that likeness. We are free-willed co-creators who become the source of all we choose to experience in life. The buck stops here. Gratitude for all your lessons changes any pain to gain. Getting grateful for all the pains is really, really the hardest work <laughs> you'll do in a lifetime. Original source shows us that the mystery lives within us and contains all the answers we need to find along the sacred path. The sacred path is your life. It's sacred. You hold sacred space in the world. And once you believe that, I think life gets a little more, you have more peace of mind. I can't say that it gets easier. But you live that path and go on that path with more peace of mind. And that's Jamie Sam. Anyway, this whole talk was inspired by a song that Cheryl wrote called Hold... To me, and she's gonna come sing it for you. I
1: see you standing there tears rolling down your face, and there's nothing, nothing I can say that would change, change anything, hold on to me, I won't let you drive. drown alone. Oh, hold on to me. I won't let you go until you let go. Those chains wrapped around nothing, nothing I can do, so I'll carry you now, oh, hold on to me, I won't let you drown, I won't let you drown. Thank you. drown. I won't let you drown alone. Hold on to me. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. Hold on to me. I'm
0: well, really perfect for today too. <sighs> when I started Nature's Path, this Wolf Wisdom Gathering, I wrote this about faith. And this is for those who, I guess, um, when the fathers go, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When the fathers weren't there, you know, or the fathers that are still here or just becoming. That um, that n- unknown thing, you know, that we all face. I don't know what's going to happen as soon as I step out this door. I have expectations, but I still have unknown Every step we take is unknown. So faith is knowing that there is an intelligent force, seen and unseen, that connects us to each other and all living things. This magnificence lives, creates, and expresses itself through us, filling our hearts and souls with love, beauty, and wisdom. This blessing empowers us to accomplish greatness. And on this Father's Day, (laughs) the day of creation, actually, I just want to say to you, we can accomplish greatness together if we remember who we are. Thank you so much. Um. (coughs) (laughs) I just want to let you know that um, we don't send a plate around, you know? I don't have a basket of shame that's kind of how it felt to me (laughs) growing up (laughs) you know but we do have some jars and we do welcome any monetary gift that you um, can afford to share with us so we do ask you if you can it helps us feed these guys and helps us keep going and so we uh, thank you in advance for your generosity there's also once you meet the wolves if you want to sponsor a wolf um, on a monthly basis with either five dollars or more you can um, we're gonna go back and see them after we have some refreshments and stuff here. Um, I'm hoping to get my podcast back up and going since we do one month, but I lost my technical person and i'm sixty three and I don't do that stuff. <laughs> that's just really hard for me. So um, I'm gonna s- uh, hopefully this talk will be up there and you can share it with your friends and family. Um, anyway, uh, that's it. I'm going to end with our um, song here. Oh, um, if you want to do our burden basket or participate there is right out the corner. Um, the Native Americans had this idea, especially for their women, that you didn't carry more burden than you could bear, because they couldn't afford for you to get hurt or unhealthy. And when your burden baskets were empty, they put them on their lodge. And to remind themselves not to take their burdens into the place of their home and their health and to leave them outside. And it also reminded people who were coming to visit not to bring their burdens into your (laughs) loving space to keep that energetic, healthy, and whole. So we have um, kind of our version of it. There's a basket out there with an antler on it. You can write on a piece of paper any burden that you don't want to carry off this property with you and put it in that basket, and I will burn it later and send it up in a prayer. And then if you do have something that you're grateful for, you can put that on a piece of paper, too, and there's a little turquoise jar with a black wolf on it, and you can stuff that one in there. So um, we ask you just don't leave here with something that you don't want to burden you with anymore. Um, That's gratitude, and it's also a burden. So I have um, a song that I end with. It's called The Face of God, and it has some sign language to it. It's, you are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. Hit it, Paul. Bye.